Hey, hey, Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, still here to chat a little about our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat. Currently on a three-game losing streak, uh, so we'll talk about the games that they lost, and then middle segment we'll talk a little bit about like what to take away from this losing streak, maybe some internal improvements, maybe some external improvements, finally getting some trade talk. Uh, then a little bit of all-star talk, since all-star voting is about done, and then we'll get all-star reserves after that. And then we'll look ahead to another week of Heat basketball, and hopefully one where the Heat break this losing streak as early as Wednesday even. But first, we got to go back last Wednesday, where we start with... Well, I'll try to go through the losing streak quickly, just because, again, it's a losing streak, so it's not as much fun to talk about. Uh, but yeah, over the last week, Miami went 0-3, uh, overall, the record, 24-19. We start last Wednesday at the Toronto Raptors, a game Miami lost 97-121. to uh, Listed out for Miami, Jaime Hawkins Jr. still. He would be out throughout this entire week. And then Kevin Love would be out the Wednesday game, but would return uh, Friday and Sunday. And for the Raptors side of things, earlier, I believe it was that Wednesday or, or the Tuesday before it, uh, it had been an official announcement that the Raptors were going to be trading Siakam to the Pacers in exchange for Bruce Brown. So Siakam obviously wasn't going to pay for the for the Raptors that night since he was about to be outgoing. And then Bruce Brown hadn't gotten inbound yet to play for the Raptors. So the Raptors also being without one of their best players uh, in Siakam. But to recap the game, Heat fell behind early in the first quarter, 15-22. Not too bad at that point. But from there, they closed the rest of the first, giving up a 19-3 run to be down 23 points after the end of the first quarter. It was it got miserable real quick. Uh, early in the second, they fell behind as much as 36, and then it would hover around there, being down at the half by 35 points. Uh, third quarter, though, they did open up on an 18-4 run. Uh, but couldn't gain, gain any more ground from there. So started to get themselves back into the game a little bit, but didn't carry that momentum throughout the third quarter, and they were still down 21 going into the fourth. They did get as close as 13 early in the fourth, and there still would have been plenty of time had they been able to string things together and then you know maybe keep the defensive possessions going against the Raptors at that point. But ultimately, they only got as close as 13, and in the end, they ended up getting blown out by 24. So, bit of a bad game. Uh, player of the game for this one, I, I guess Nikola Jovic. I, this was, nobody really stood out for like getting positive talk here, but I guess I'll give it to Jovic. 10.7 rebounds, 2 assists, uh, 4-9 from the field, not that bad. 1-2 from 3-point range, yay. 1-2 from the free throw line, uh, that could have been better. But he was a team high plus 6, mainly because he was in for that 18-4 run uh, early in the third quarter. But it's one of the few players that ended up positive, at least. So, I guess in a way, he wins by the fact that he wasn't actively dragging down the heat like the rest of the team was that night. Stats for this game, uh, they really lost this one due to three-point shooting. Heat going 6-28, good for 21% from, from three-point range, to the Raptors 20-38, of 38, good for 53%. And in particular, it was the first half that, that really dug Miami the hole. Uh, Miami going 1 of 16 from three-point range. Good for 6%. Single digit from three-point range. To the Raptors, 14 of 22. Good for 64%. So looking at the first half versus the total game, you do see that like Miami did shoot way better in the, in the second half, and the Raptors came back to earth a little bit. 
But ultimately, it was just too insurmountable uh, of an obstacle right there. And even then, during that fourth quarter, when there were some opportunities for Miami to get back into the game, they still just could not make enough threes to really put some fear into the Raptors. And sure, Miami lost other areas. They lost turnovers. They lost free throw attempts. Um, They barely won offensive rebounds. But when the three-point disparity is that huge, there's really not much you can do to overcome that in the modern NBA. Um... Honorable mention for this, I like the fight that they put up in the second half. I mean, they went from down 35 at the half to as close as 13. That's still a 22-point swing in the second half. That's not nothing. It just wasn't enough to overcome the massive hole they put themselves to begin with. But let's go ahead move on from that game. We go to last Friday, a game that Miami hosted the Atlanta Hawks, and a game that they also lost 108-109. to uh, like I mentioned earlier, Hawkins would be out. Kevin Love would be back. And then for the Hawks side of things, a late scratch Trey Young. So what especially makes us bad to lose is the Hawks were without their best player. So to recap the game, Heat's offense came out really flat to start the first, but did come alive later on while the Heat finished only down eight after the first quarter. So again, within range. It's not 23 like against the Raptors at least. Uh, they did start the second quarter on a 10-0 run that helped them to tie the game. Uh, then the lead would go back and forth the remainder of the second quarter. Heat down one at the half. So, hey, you got back in the game. This is positive. Keep moving in that direction. Uh, Heat opened up the third on an 11-2 run to take a solid lead, but then it stayed the same throughout the third quarter, and near the end they gave up another run that allowed the Hawks to get back in. Uh, Heat only up two going into the fourth. And then the fourth quarter itself, very tightly contested, all the way down to the last few possessions where DeJounte Murray, down 108 to 106, just pulled up from deep, nailed the three to put the Hawks up one with two seconds left, and the Heat just couldn't get a shot up in time with so little left to work with, and they end up losing the game. All right, moving on from there. Uh, player of the game for this one, I guess I'm going to give this one to Jimmy Butler. This a little bit of a different situation where there was actually a few players that, that could have taken player of the game here. But ultimately with Jimmy Butler, 25 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists with 2 steals on 8 of 10 from the field, 9 of 10 from the free throw line. So hyper efficient there. Uh, though he did finish 4 turnovers, 2 personal fouls. And the overall was a, was a neutral and plus minus. So you can question how much... I mean, again, the efficiency was there, the production was there... But again, ultimately, it didn't really matter too much. Heat still lost the game. Um, interesting stats for this game. Miami did lose the turnover battle 16-13 to and points off of turnovers 19-22. to As I've talked about many times on this podcast throughout this season, that's usually an area Miami tries to win. It's one of the few areas of easy offense that they typically can win. And so losing that goes big towards the loss. Uh, and then three-point percentage. Heat... 12 of 31, good for 39%. Not bad, but the Hawks, 15 of 35, good for 43%. And overall being plus three on main three-pointers, that that can be enough for a one-point victory right there. And then honorable mentions as we finish this game up, uh, Bam Adebayo, 21 points, nine rebounds, six assists, doing some good damage from the free throw line, seven of eight. And then Tyler Hero, 25 points, six rebounds, two assists, uh, four of nine from three-point range. So, in total, Miami's big three did combine for 20-plus each, and it was, what, 25, 25, 70, uh, 71 points in total between the three of them, and yet, <laughs> they still only managed to score 108 points and lose the game by one. 
And then the other thing for honorable mention, because I'll talk about him in a little bit later on, uh, DeJounte Murray for the Hawks. With Trey Young out, Murray ended up having to put the shoulder the burden, and he did well enough, uh, finishing 22 points, 3 rebounds, 11 assists, and the, the game-winning shot. Okay, with that, we get to the last game of the week, Sunday at the Orlando Magic, a game that the Heat lost 87-105, to another blowout loss. Uh, I already mentioned the injury report, Hawkeye's still out, uh, Kevin Love's still back, but for the Magic side of things, they would welcome back their second best player, Franz Wagner, and boy, did he have a game. Uh, to recap the game, though, low-scoring contested first quarter saw the Heat down three, and then in the second quarter, Magic extended their lead on a 7-0 run early in the second, though the Heat would chip away throughout the remainder of the second quarter, what was eventually around a double-digit lead, only down two at the half. And then after a flurry of buckets to start the third quarter, Magic broke the game open on a 14-2 run, eventually being up 12 going into the fourth quarter. And then the Heat just couldn't score for the first almost three minutes of the fourth quarter as the Magic tacked together an 8-0 run to put them up 20 and pretty much into the game from there. It hovered around like 20 to 24 or so. Nah, Miami was just done after that. Player of the game for this one, I give to Bam Adebayo. 22 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists on 8-17 from the field. 0-1 from 3-point range. I actually tried a 3-pointer. It was nice to see. 6-6 uh, from the free throw line. But he did finish with 5 turnovers. And he was a minus 15 overall. And I think that did reflect in the fact that he was settling a lot for like mid-range shots rather than trying to force his way to the rim and for- or force his way to the free throw line more often. He was having a good day from the line there. So... Yes, player of the game still, but still things to, to poke away. And again, makes sense considering this was an 18-point blowout loss. Even even your best player in that situation is going to have stuff to, to poke at. Uh, stats for the game. Miami lost the field goal percentage battle pretty bad. Uh, Heat finished 30 of 80, good for 38%. To the Magic's 37 of 78, good for 47%. So plus 9 from just field goal percentage to the Magic. And they also lost uh, free throw attempts. Miami going 15 of 18, good for 83%, versus uh, the Magic's 22 of 28, good for 79%. So Magic plus 10 on free throw attempts. And though they did shoot a worse percentage, they were still plus 7 on made free throw attempts. And then the three-point shoot. So you're losing field goal percentage battle, losing free throw attempts. The only possible way to even think about making that up is to just go bonkers from three and hope that most of your made field goals are from three. Uh, that was pretty much even in this one. Uh, Three-point shooting, Miami 12-37 versus the Magic's 9-28. That's not a big enough disparity to, to make up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they only scored 87 in total, so it's not like they even did that much. And then they really lost points in the paint, 36-54. Uh, to 54. They just could not score in the paint, couldn't really score consistently from three-point range, couldn't really get to the free throw line. Couldn't really shoot well from the field at all. Makes sense that they ended up sub-90 points at the end of the game. And then the only real honorable... I don't even call it an honorable mention. The only real mention for this game that I'll throw out there is this is the second game in the row that Kyle Lowry ended up coming off the bench with uh, Caleb Martin starting in place of him. And I thought that was a little interesting. The The Friday game, the, the story for why Larry sat Friday was a little bit disciplinary, a little bit they wanted to try Caleb Martin on Trey Young. Uh, Trey Young didn't end up playing. Uh, but then after the game, Lowry said that he expected to be starting come Sunday, and he was not starting come Sunday. So that 
could become an issue going forward. We'll have to see how that goes. But as of right now, Miami's on a three-game losing streak with a really tough part of their schedule coming up. So good possibility it may get worse. So for the next part, I wanted to talk a little bit about essentially what's been going on the last week and, and how could things take a turn for the better. So the first thing that's been the most interesting about the way that this last week's been going is the fact that the Heat have actually had Jimmy, Hero, and Bam all healthy, all together, all starting, and the results actually have been way worse. Um, we did see, like, early in the season was probably the last time we saw, and even then it didn't look too too great. But it's the beginning of the season, and we couldn't really take too big of a sample size. The Heat did start to correct things. They were going on that win streak, that, that like, early seven-game win streak. I think there was game three or four when Hero got injured. So it wasn't like everything completely flipped once uh, one of them went down. But since Jimmy's return in particular from last Monday against the Nets through now, this team has been struggling hard, particularly on the offensive end. Where, let's see, so Nets game, they was sub-90 when it went to overtime, and it still was in the 90s when they won. Uh, Toronto game, they only scored 97. Hawks game, they only scored 108. Magic game, they only scored 87. So the offense has not been great in the four games since the four of them, uh, three of them have been back. That's the most concerning thing. Uh, and the only other potential explanation for, for maybe if you don't want to say like it's one, it's a problem with the three of them would be Jaime Jaquez Jr. Because Jaquez has also been out uh, all four of these last games. But the counter-argument to that is Jaime Jaquez, though an experienced one, is still a rookie. And this is a team that has made finals appearances before Jaquez. It's, it's not like this team didn't have a previous track record of being good uh, without him. So the fact that they seem that reliant upon, like, if that's the explanation, is that they're just that reliant upon Jaquez, that's a very bad sign for the team. Especially the makeup of their core with uh, Hero, Bam, and Jimmy. And I'll admit, I might have been a little bit too bullish on the idea that the three of them could work together. Uh, I definitely was early on in the season. I, I felt that they at least deserved the opportunity to go out there and try to see if they could incorporate Hero's increased volume scoring with maybe, like, that means Bam can do a bit more of a two-way and Jimmy can more so coast and pick his spots. But the, just the end result of that has not happened, in part because Hero doesn't really look like he can carry the offense uh, like we had originally hoped, either from a playmaking or a scoring perspective, which then is causing Jimmy to have to take over a little bit more or maybe Bam to try to force things a little bit more, and now everything feels out of whack. Uh, and then as, as other podcasts have pointed out as well, the three of them also like to operate in the same area in the sense of like Bam likes that mid-range, Jimmy likes that mid-range, Tyler likes getting to the floater in the mid-range. So if they're, if they're all stepping on each other in the same spots makes it a lot easier for the defense f to collapse. And in particular, it is difficult for Hero because if Hero has the ball and he's trying to attack the rim, well, the first part is he, he has not shown, at least that I've seen, that easy lob to Bam that, that I've called out a few times. is like, just get that lob to Bam and that's an easy few assists for you for Hero and a few points for Bam. That makes everything flow a little bit better. The defense has to back off a little bit more, give Hero some more space in that mid-range. But with that not happening, and then the other part is Jimmy not really being much of a floor spacer, as has happened in the last few years, it, it's just so easy to collapse on Hero in, in particular because he can't space the floor when he's on the ball. 
So unless he works on that outlet to Bam with the alley-oop, or unless Bam or Jimmy start spotting up and helping us space the floor for Hero's drives, or ser- like when he does a little serpent dribble, trying to poke and prod the defense, then he's just not going to have the room for that. And then the offense bogs down, and then we end up you know, finishing games, scoring around 90 points, or at least sub-100. So... The question then becomes, what can the Heat do about that? And really, you can either look in two areas. You either look internally or you look externally. So, first, I want to look at internal adjustments that the Heat could maybe try to do over the next few weeks. Uh, one of which they've already started doing, which is essentially just moving Lowry to the bench for Caleb Martin. I do also think like a Haywood Highsmith could be could be interchangeable for that as well. The, the basic idea is essentially like... All right, let, let's double down on Hero being the primary playmaker and initiator or balancing that between him and Jimmy so either of them are initiating. So that other guard spot that was originally occupied by Lowry can go to more of a 3 and D player like a Caleb Martin or a Haywood Highsmith that can defend at the point of attack on one end and at least try to space and knock down some threes on the other end to, to like I mentioned already, give Jimmy, Bam, and Hero a little more space inside to work with. And this also helps put another defender out on the court where the Heat have been starting Nikola Jovic. And Jovic, to his credit, definitely looked improved on the defensive end, and he's, he's being in the right spots. But there are certain nights where he's just not... He's not really being too much of a negative, but he's not really being enough of a positive on either end, especially the defensive end. So you looked at like the starting lineup before where it's like, all right, Lowry sapped with age, Hero tries, but still a little young and, and not athletic enough, uh, and Jovic, who's still young, learning how to use his body as well, that put a lot of defensive pressure on Bam and Jimmy. So now by taking Lowry out and putting in a better defender, at least that helps balance both sides of the ball a, a little bit better, at least on paper. So we'll have to see how that part goes, at least the other result's not too great. Uh, but other options that I was thinking of while going through this, uh, one would be a new starting lineup where essentially you bring Duncan Robinson into the starting lineup. So the idea here would be you start Hero, you start Duncan. Those are your two three uh, two best volume three-point shooters. Defense has to respect that, and that can help balance out the fact that Bam, Bam and Jimmy don't only take threes. Uh that lets you run Duncan Bam two man game. If you need a little offense to get to, you can run some Jimmy and, and Duncan stuff. Duncan has the experience starting, and interestingly enough, he's looked better as a starter this year than coming off the bench. So you also could get a more productive Duncan Robinson as well. The downside to doing that, uh, and to kind of piggyback off the defensive conversation beforehand, essentially would be that you'd have to move Jovic to the bench. Because at that point, you would have Hero Duncan, who are going to get picked on defensively, and Jovic. So then you're right back in that spot where Jimmy and Bam have too much of a defensive burden on them. So you swap out that Jovic spot for either a Martin or a Highsmith. Same idea. You know, the 3-and-D player. Probably Martin, just because he's he has the experience. Uh, and then Haywood can, you know, you can balance out the minutes with him. Or, you can, again, you could try Haywood. He <laughs> was a big contributing factor to that seven-game win streak early in the season. So, either or, I think that could be an interesting lineup. If not to start, then at least maybe to close. Because uh, it gets a lot of offense and a lot of defense out on the court for Miami. Or, another option uh, that I've seen, especially like Alphonse Sidney from uh, the Miami Heat Beat, been pushing hard, has been moving Hero to the bench and letting Lowry start in place. 
And essentially the idea here is you're trying to go back to that 21 to 22 season where the Heat finished first in the East and Tyler won sixth man of the year. Where Jimmy and Bam can run the starting lineup and then you just focus on putting players around them. They got the two of them started. And then Hero can come in off the bench, kill opposing uh, bench units, run the offense, get his points, and get himself in rhythm so then he can close the game. I do think that's a viable option. The only problem there would be Tyler Hero at his age and at his contract, accepting the fact that he has to move to the bench. Again, his age and his contract, that's just not typically the case. So it's a, it's a bit of a culture test there. Can he take that, what would look as a demotion, like both externally uh, from other fan bases and the media at large, and internally it would, it would look like a demotion, but it could end up with a better balance by giving each one a little bit more space to operate throughout most of the game, and then that way they're in rhythm and they can come in and close together. I'm still of the belief that Hero will remain the starter. I haven't seen any indications for, for that yet, but at this point I do think it is on the table. It has to be considered. And then the last potential internal adjustment I could think of would essentially just be cutting Josh out of the rotation, Josh Richardson. I mean, I still have a, a warm place in my heart for Rook too, but the production really hasn't been there. The defense hasn't been there. The offense has been come or go. Somebody has to get cut from this rotation. It's about, like, when Jaime comes back, it'll go 10, 11 deep. So at the very least, you got to cut one, probably two. And I, I think that has to be Josh at this point. So those are the internal adjustments I think that he can make externally. I don't really think they're going to be too active in the buyout market. And even then, that would be several weeks away. So right in front of them right now for external improvements is going to be via trade. And given that the Heat have Kyle Lowry on an expiring contract, they are most likely going to try to trade him. But given that Lowry is also the only like real true point guard on the roster, the Heat need to make sure that they get a point guard back. So it limits a lot of their options to, to a handful. And most people already know the two big names at this point are going to be DeJounte Murray and Terry Rozier. So uh, for Murray, just some of the quick positives for him. He's already played point guard for the Spurs. He ended up having an all-star season with the Spurs as their lead point guard before being traded to the Hawks. Uh, he's a great playmaker, big shot maker. We saw that firsthand, That the like I mentioned earlier, 22 points, 3 rebounds, 11 assists. The 11 assists really surprised me. And though he did have times in that game where, like, he had to get shots up just because somebody in that offense had to take shots, he still did enough. And then ultimately, at, at the end of that game, hit the big shot to win it. So, great audition by DeJounte Murray if that was the case. And then there's been a little social media flirtations. Oh, let me just put on my Instagram story uh, some stuff about the heat. I don't buy too much into social media flirtations like that. But it's at least a positive sign, I guess you could call it. Uh, but other positives for, for Murray, he could have been potentially in a really bad role for the Hawks because, again, for the Spurs, he started as the point guard. And then when he came to the Hawks, Trey Young was the point guard, so that put DeJounte Murray as a shooting guard, and that fit never really felt right since then. So in that sense, Murray may have been put into a wrong role and could therefore flourish and produce more if he was put back into where he started, which was a point guard. And then he still has good size athleticism, uh, the big negative, I guess, really for DeJounte Murray, one uh, would be has not really defended that well since joining the Hawks, but two kind of arguments to that. One is the Hawks. They don't really prioritize defense. Definitely didn't last year. Certainly do not this year. So could also be a bit of a culture fit. 
And then the other part is just being out of role, being out of position, right? He's having to help he's having to help cover the point guard position for Trey Young, who is not a great defender at all. So there could be an opportunity where Murray in a better environment like a Miami could get back to more of the defensive chops that he showed uh, in San Antonio. But then the other big problem for Murray is going to be the number of suitors out there. He's definitely the more coveted of the players between like him or Rogier. So teams looking for that point guard upgrade are going to be more so putting their chips in the bag for Murray. Therefore, the Heat would have to up their offer to remain competitive. Uh, oh, and then the other big thing for Murray, uh, he's a few years younger than Rozier, so he could fit a little bit better if you're trying to get cute and play the two-timeline thing with like him going on with Bam, uh, Hero, and Hawkes for whatever this next core of Miami ends up being. But the other big name for this is uh, Terry Rozier. Big positives for him. He did play point guard as well, though mainly as a backup for the Celtics and Hornets. Uh, he can score. He can space the floor. Uh, might also be in a little bit of a bad role, a little bit of a similar thing to where he came onto the Hornets, uh, though he was kind of expected to be the point guard at the time to replace uh, Kimba Walker. But then the Hornets sucked, and they got LaMelo Ball, which then pushes Rozier out of the point guard spot for LaMelo. So a little bit similarly, he could also be in a bad role. And then the other uh, last positive is going to be just less suitors for him compared to DeJounte Murray. So it might be a little bit easier to get, you know, the Heat, like they like to say, they like to keep some of their powder dry so they can go whale hunting. That would be the, the easier way to, you know, double dip and play both in that situation. The negatives, though, for him is Rozier's is definitely smaller than Murray and not a great reputation as a defender. So, yes, Miami could get a great offensive improvement from the point guard spot, from Kyle Lowry to Terry Rozier, but might not get, it might be like a neutral or even a negative on the defensive end. Between the two, I am, I am certainly leaning Murray. I only would have concerns about how much it would cost, given the other suitors for him. Uh, but I also realize that I that the Hawks might not want to trade Murray within the conference, let alone within the division to the Miami Heat. So I can also see the situation with the Hawks just say, no, nope. Like right now, the big rumor right now is he's uh, there are talks about him going to the Lakers for, for some stuff that they're trying to figure out. But just to say, I would like DeJounte Murray. I don't necessarily think the Heat are going to get him. I think their best option might end up being Rozier. But... The trade deadline is still not for a few more weeks, Thursday, February 8th. So we'll have to see how this situation uh, evolves uh, over the course of time. So to recap that segment, Heat offense has sucked even though they've had their big three back. Uh, There are still some moves that they can make internally to try to reshuffle things and get a little bit more productivity out of the players. Or they have some good trade options that they can go to to try to improve the roster. So next part I wanted to talk about real quick Uh, Just the all-star cases for Miami Heat players. Voting has been going on for the last few weeks, but I'll be honest, I did not pay too much attention to the voting, and I do think for for good reason. Um, If you look at the way that the votes have gone, there's pretty much no chance for any Miami Heat players to end up as starters. So you look in the front court, and so far the leading vote-getters, and I do understand that the voting is not entirely dependent upon fan voting, but it's it's good correlation. You can kind of see how big the gap is. Um, in the front court right now, though, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum are the top three, and then there is an over two million vote gap to fourth place 
where, surprisingly enough, is Jimmy Butler. So nice to see that he's getting a good amount of fan vote. But that that huge gap, even though fan voting does only account for 50% of the total votes, I, I don't see any way that Jimmy Butler uh, gets over any of those three, nor do I actually think he should get over any of those three. It, it makes more sense that they would, those uh, Embiid, Giannis, and Tatum would get in by vote share. And then in the backcourt for the guards, there's just no chance. <laughs> the only player that they, the Heat would even have qualified for that would be Tyler Hero. And A, he missed way too many games to really be in the public conscious. And B, there were five. he wasn't even on the top five list. And that, again, makes perfect sense to me. So really, I think when we're talking about all-star cases for Heat players, we're talking about them getting in as reserves as they have in the last few years. Which, quick reminder, that means that they would need to be chosen by the coaches, not Eric Spolstra, of the East. So, right off the bat, um, I, I, I've seen a little bit of, like, Jaime Jaquez Jr. Like, oh, could he, could he get in as a reserve? Like, no. The, the coaches are not... He's a great rookie. He's not that great of a rookie that he's going to be rewarded like that. Uh, and then, similarly, Tyler Hero, no for missed games, and most recently has not played that great definitely not at an all-star level i think so no for hero as well so really it comes down between jimmy or bam and i do think at least one of them will get in as as a nod of respect to miami but also legitimately one of them at least one of them deserves it i don't think both though because the heat have not been that great to deserve two all-stars um so between the two i'm leaning towards bam He's had five more games and continued to grow on both ends of the court, especially on the offensive end where that mid-range jumper just looks so smooth at times. Uh, so between the two, though, Jimmy does have a better offensive rating and better offensive box plus minus, so some of the advanced stats like him a little bit more. But I do think that's mainly to do with Jimmy getting to the free throw line and shooting better from the free throw line than Bam. Uh, whereas Bam definitely be- had the better defensive metrics, and for the most part, he's been comparable on the offensive end versus Jimmy. He's still behind him in a few advanced metrics, but again, I think that goes back to the offensive uh, tilt that goes towards Jimmy. So overall, Bam making more games, better two-way force. Uh, he seems he's the captain of the team now. He just seems like Miami's go-to all-star uh, when in doubt. So I would imagine Bam ends up getting the all-star nod. So that would not happen this week. The reserves will be announced next week. So, got a little time before we get to there. Blitz through that real quick. Now, let's close, as usual, looking to the injury report, and then the next week ahead for the Miami Heat. Uh, only person in the injury report outside of Drew Smith, who is unfortunately still out for the season, Jaime Hawkins Jr. listed still out with a groin injury. No timetable on his return yet. The word is that it's not too bad, like he's not going to be out multiple months, but it's also not the kind of thing where... The, the Heat want to just push and rush him back. They want to make sure he's properly healed. So <laughs> that could mean a few games, could mean a few weeks, and you just kind of shrug at this point. We know how it is as a Heat fan. We, we don't get much information. But for the Heat schedule this week now, they have a back-to-back at home Wednesday, Thursday, and then one road game this week. So three quick games. Uh, let's knock through them real quick. First will be this Wednesday where they will host the Memphis Grizzlies. This is a Grizzlies team with currently a 15-37 overall record. The Heat are up 1-0 in the best of two against them. Um, the last time we played them, that was when Hero got injured to the middle of that win streak in November. Uh, listed out for the injury report for the Grizzlies, most of the team. Uh, John ran out for the season, Bain out several weeks. 
Uh, Smart out several weeks. Clark's out for the season. Adams out for the season. So who's left that could be players of interest? Essentially, as I under- as I recognize, Jaron Jackson Jr., a great defensive player, great block maker, a uh, growing offensive game. Bam just completely owned him last time. So I hope to see that again. And that's really about the only major player of threat that I I know of on the Grizzlies. So looking at the stats for the Grizzlies, uh, 30th in offensive rating, dead last. 10th in defensive rating, that's still good. 12th in pace. Things that they do well, 7th in opponent two-point attempts and opponent two-point percentage, so they do a good job of defending within the arc. 3rd in blocks, that kind of goes hand-in-hand with defending inside the arc. And opponent turnovers. So those are the good parts of their defense. They do a good job turning opponents over as well. Probably sometimes with the blocks. If not the blocks and just like errant passes or shutting off the rim and forcing a 24-second violation. For things that the the Grizzlies do bad, they're third in three-point attempts. They get a lot of three-pointers up, but 30th dead last in three-point percentage, which essentially suggests that they're just trying to win games by chucking up threes and hoping that the variance swings their way that night. A 14th in opponent three-point attempts, 28th, uh, sorry, 26th in opponent three-point percentage. So the Heat could get some of their three-point shooting back on track against the Grizzlies. And then they're 22nd in turnovers, while 20th in opponent steals. So there could also be some opportunities for Miami to get into the passing lanes, pick off some passes, and get themselves some easy points. And then storyline for this game. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, sadly enough, are in the midst of a lost season between the suspension to Morant and then the season-ending injury, not to mention the season-ending injuries they already had to Clark and Adams, and now this recent stretch that they're going to have without Bain and Smart. Th- this is a team that is not going anywhere this season. They should not have much to play for um, outside of just trying to show some grit in the face of adversity. So, by all means, the Heat should snap this losing streak against the Grizzlies. It would be an absolute waste of an opportunity uh, if they don't do so. Doubly considering that they have a back-to-back the following night against the Celtics. So they actually want to try to knock this game out early so then they could try to rest for that game. But we'll see how that goes. I, I At this point, I don't think that the are just going to walk to an easy win Wednesday. But I do think they can at least get the win and, and break the losing streak. So... After that, Thursday, they will host the Celtics. This is a Celtics team with a current record 33 and 10, number one in the East. And the Heat are already down 0 1 in a best of three after that close loss. I think it was like the third or fourth game of the season, maybe even the second one. It was close. I know that much at least. Um, listed out for the Celtics. Uh, only one other injury report right now is just Porzingis. He might be back Thursday. He's listed out for their one game tonight. Uh, and then after that, they just the next game Thursday. So we'll have to see then. Players to watch out for the Celtics. Ah, there's a lot. <laughs> Jason Tatum, a legit top five to seven player, depending upon where you want to put him. I think. Uh, and Jalen Brown, really great wing combo. And then the backcourt of Derek White and J- Drew Holiday, just defensively, offensively, that's going to be an absolute pain. And that's assuming Porzingis isn't even there. Like. The the starting five for this Celtics team is legit. It's and that's really what you got to worry about. <laughs> oh yeah, just got to worry about the entire starting five. It's not that bad. Looking at these stats here, this is a Celtics team that's third in offensive rating, second in defensive rating. They're only twentieth in pace. Uh, things that they do well a lot. <laughs> first in three point attempts. First in defensive rebounds. First in blocks. First in opponent free throw attempts. 
Oh, and they're se- uh, that first in three-point attempts, they're seventh in three-point percentage as well. They get up a ton of threes, and they rain them down at a high clip. And then on the other end, just a really stout defense. Again, all the blocks, all the defensive rebounds, you're not getting very many opportunities, and you're not really getting to the line against them much. And that's just like the highlights for, for what the Celtics are good at statistically. For stuff that they're bad at, this is a little tricky. Um, 27th in opponent turnovers and 28th in steals themselves, so the Heat might not have to worry so much about getting picked in this game. And they are 21st in assists, so they don't pass the ball around too much to set each other up. Uh, but that, that can also just mean a lot more like Jason Tatum isos or something like that. So a steady diet of that could explain why they're 21st in assists. They're a legit team. Like, they're a legit title contender team. You can't take that away from them at this point. So the storyline for this, Boston will have had two days off, Tuesday, Wednesday, while the Heat will be coming off a back-to-back playing Wednesday night. Though They do at least don't have to travel. But... I am going to be curious just what the Heat have left. Like, they're going up against a really great team on the second night of a back-to-back. That just, in my head, that just screams you're just going to get blown out and you shouldn't even be surprised. The interesting part that just popped in my head, uh, the Celtics had themselves a little bit of a similar situation a few weeks ago. They came in on the second night of a back-to-back against the Milwaukee Bucks, and they got blown out to hell. And it was, they didn't even play in the second half. It's as, as kind of like a, yeah, what did he expect? We played back to back, and they didn't. And they had the energy. I could see a similar result happening uh, Thursday night, which again goes back to why I say Wednesday, it lo- end the losing streak then. So then at least you're not going into that Celtics game potentially finishing with a five game losing streak. Uh, moving on, last game this Saturday at the New York Knicks is the Knicks team that currently has a 26 and 17 overall record. The Heat are down 0-1 in a best of three. After that late November game where they blew the fourth quarter, uh, that was yeah, it was like a minus thirteen in the fourth quarter. That was I think that was like my worst loss of the first quarter of the season. Might still be my worst loss of the season. Looking back at it, um, but moving on, injury re- is a best of three series. Injury report for the the Knicks. They will still be without Mitchell Robinson. He's going to be out until at least April. And then their other main center, uh, Hartenstein, is currently just questionable. I would imagine he will still be good to go by later on in the week. So players to watch out for on the Knicks. Number one is going to be Jalen Brunson, the, the just really shifty, herky-jerky type of guard that can just get to the bucket. And it's just an absolute pest pain to deal with. But that's a good source of their offense. Julius Randle, I mean, if he's having a great day, yeah, it hurts a lot. But if he's having a bad day, by all means, just funnel stuff to him if you're the Heat. And then they did recently acquire OG Anunoby. So I'm interested to see how he will fit in with his 3 and D approach uh, you know, versus Miami. So looking at the stats for the Knicks, they're currently 8th in offensive rating, 8th in defensive rating, 27th in pace. But they do well. They're 8th in free throw attempts, 4th in offensive rebounds. Uh, So essentially the bulk of their offense is more so getting to the line and then getting second chance opportunities. Uh, Talk a little bit about more that in a little bit. But things that the Knicks also do well, 5th in opponent field goal attempts, free throw attempts, and offensive rebounds. So that's where all all those good defensive metrics come in. Uh, and then they are six in personal fouls and in opponent fouls. So they don't foul a lot, but they get their opponents in a lot of foul trouble. That goes back to where they're eighth in free throw attempts. Things that the Knicks do badly, uh, they are 19th in field goal attempts and 20th in field goal percentage. So that's 
that's again where I go back to that free throw attempts and the offensive rebounds. They're not they're not being a high volume, low percentage team like some offenses are, or a low volume, high percentage like others. They are relatively low in both, so they're making up for it at the line and with second chance opportunities. And then they're also 17th in turnovers and 23rd in opponent turnovers. That could also be an area where Miami could win the turnover battle and, again, try to get some easy points off of turnovers. Go, the storyline for this game, uh, first is how did the Knicks match up with the Heat after the recent addition of OG and Unabi? Uh, I guess Precious Chu as well, but as I see it, <clears throat> the Knicks fans are already getting a little tired of Precious. Uh, but the main storyline, actually, for this should be is can the Heat pull out a much-needed win here to avoid losing the tiebreaker? Because it's the best of three series. So you lose this one, you're down 2-0, you're not winning that tiebreaker, and this is against a team in the same tier as you. That could pay off huge um, at the end of the season. So after that game, one game um, up in New York, the Heat will return home to host the Suns next Monday. This is why I say it doesn't get any easier. You go Celtics on second out of back-to-back Knicks, uh, Suns, yeah. There's a lot more riding on that Grizzlies game to at least snap the losing streak than, than you would think at first. And then for what I talk about next week, uh, we'll see how the next week goes, right? Like a week ago, things weren't looking too bad, and now this week the Heat come in on a three-game losing streak, and, and that's very clearly the, the topic of conversation. So we'll see how things develop over the next week. But for now, I do thank you for hanging around. That'll be all for this episode. Please, if you can, follow the pod at Heaters Heating and myself at KBR Heat Culture off of X Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Also, check out the other great pods we have at OGG Basketball, Celtics Wire, Brooklyn Buzz, Full Access Pacers. Uh, links for everything are in the show notes as usual. I'll be back next week. So until then, hope you all have a good one, Heat Nation.